Podcasting from the Hammer and Nails Pub, just 26 blocks off of the Las Vegas Strip, and via the Zencaster app, Westerville, Ohio, the campus of Otterbein University. This is Tackling the Chicane from Virtual Vegas. So I thought that uh, Mr. Presley would be... uh, a good intro song. A stalwart in Vegas. That <laughs> and, he was. Uh, just a, a good song otherwise. So, yes. Indeed. Indeed. Don't have any color behind it, but <laughs> just I don't to think get it really uh, needs any. No. No, it does not. And uh, welcome, everyone, to the 62nd edition of tackling the chicane and uh the 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 hour is finally upon us for uh well at least half of the show uh i know my co-host has pretty much been eagerly awaiting this day for basically since the vegas race was announced over a year ago and uh uh I think, you know, he will definitely show his excitement in this one. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be um, a historic weekend in Formula One as they race the Las Vegas Strip for the first time. And uh, we will uh, we will definitely have to see how it goes, but it is going to be interesting whatever happens. So, of course, we're, we're going to kind of preview uh, this upcoming weekend in the Sin City. On the other half of the show, we take a look at uh, what I think is safe to say uh, as being the best match in the Premier League so far this season, a goal fest between Chelsea and Man City, which offered quite a bit of entertainment uh, and then also uh, previewing uh, and sort of explaining this upcoming 
international break for the United States men's national team. All of this and more uh, to come. <laughs> but I think now we should get into the Vegas discussion. Yeah, so uh, a couple of things of note. Uh, firstly, on several of the podcasts that I listen to um, that are car-centric or automotive motorsport-centric, uh, there is some underpinning rumblings of <laughs> this being a complete failure and that this will be the one and only GP that is run in Vegas. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but I guess we shall see. Um, of course, a lot of that comes from pundits who don't follow the series on a regular basis and what they're kind of glomming onto is, you know, how difficult the, the task of building a track in the middle of the entertainment capital of the world, adult entertainment capital of the world, I guess, you know, Disney might take us a, a quick second to that but um i think there's a lot of misinformation i think that um you know this is a 10-year commitment and um if money is to be made then they shall stay so i'm hoping that that's the case i would like to see you know the three gps remain in the u.s i think it's important for f1 uh, as an American fan. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of why I'm a little bit excited about this, this weekend is just to see how everything unfolds. Yeah, I think it's, um, I probably made it pretty obvious that I'm probably more in the camp of this. I, I don't think this is going to go particularly well for F1. But I, I would like to say that, uh, you know, I don't want it to go bad by any means. I'm just kind of expecting the worst and hoping for the best at this point. Um, you can't really talk about the, the event as a whole without at least underlining some of the grumblings that have been going on in the paddock where drivers and teams alike don't seem to be too enthused with being in Vegas and kind of how it's um, how it's been run. Basically, I just saw today uh, Max Verstappen saying he felt it was um, all about um, sort of the show of F1 being there and not so much about the race. And he said he felt sort of just like a, a clown basically when they were being paraded around. Um, we've, we've had this conversation in the past about how these, the drivers can be at some time or at some points, they can be a little bit, um, I don't know what the word is, but you know, they're, these guys are basically, you know, prints, princes that are held up on a certain pedestal so 
uh, when they're not used to um, the regular circuit fanfare. And yes, I think in Miami it was kind of the same thing where this yeah. is a US, United States deal where we have to, you know, everything has to be a show. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched the warm up show right before the podcast here on F1. And maybe it was because they were putting their best foot forward, but most the drivers that they interviewed um, were not saying anything horrible okay. about being there. Yeah. Um, but again, that also probably stems back to the fact that the Red Bull car is um, potentially not happy <laughs> at this track. Um, and I guess... I probably will with the P1 being just a couple of hours away. I might dip into to that just for a bit mm-hmm. um, to see, you know, exactly how the cars are performing on the circuit. Uh, yeah. I know it's, it's particularly flat, so we don't have a lot of elevation change. Obviously we're, <laughs> we're in the, the desert in Las so- Vegas. Yeah, I think the big thing here with the track is that if if you take a look at it and you, if you're listening, just kind of maybe search it up here to get a better view. But it is not; it is probably the least complex circuit layout uh, on the calendar. Maybe Monza is slightly less or on par with Vegas, but regardless. Um, it is a lot of straightaway, a lot of just pedal to the floor, and there aren't a ton of turns, and there aren't a ton of low-speed corners. And we know from this season and even in years past, the the Red Bull car is set up to maximize speed around corners. That is where they gain all of their time, because it's not an issue of straight line speed never really has been it's always been they've been much much quicker on corners than everyone else so it is interesting you bring up the fact that maybe red bull isn't super happy with this track um and that is definitely something listeners should pay attention to leading up to this yeah so it has the traditional start into a huge kink which is i mean it is 90 degrees plus uh at turn one and then turn five is really the next challenging sweep uh but what i think this might i hope that it doesn't garner a ton of ERS train racing, although out of 12, and I don't know if you have the, if you're looking at the track uh, or not, but can pull it I up. Mean, out of turn 12 and down that kind of gentle sweep into 13, these cars potentially could go as fast 
as they have gone all year. Mm-hmm. We may see maximum speed here. And then into 14 is a kink, a huge kink. It's, I, yeah. I wouldn't call it a chicane. Um, and then off to another straight. So I guess it's more uh, that 12 to 14. Um, we're going to see possibly two. I think 206 is the highest speed they've ever hit. And I don't know. I don't think the cars are, are governed. No. Um, but yeah, so I mean, though that kind of, yes, this is not a traditional GP track as we've seen it before. But mm-hmm. um, when you have that much real estate to stretch, stretch out, maybe it's going to bring some competitive uh, racing. Yeah, I don't. I really, and obviously, it you know, it kind of sounds a little on the nose since it's the first time racing here. But I, I genuinely do not know what the the racing is going to look like here and i think that's what kind of adds to the excitement um because even if it ends up being a shit show of sorts like you still had this was the first time uh the setting obviously is going to be unlike any other um i just hope that it doesn't kind of turn into a circus a bit like Miami has been in the past where the, where I guess the two times they've run Miami where it's like, uh, some of the stuff you're doing is like, okay, we could probably dial it back. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I can probably, um, predict that it will be that and more. Oh yeah. I know it will be (laughs) considered. Yeah, but you know these guys also have to embrace the fact that they have the opportunity to be in the U.S. and maybe the U.S. isn't like the rest of the circuit as far as they're concerned. But yes, they will parade you around mm-hmm. uh, more. This will probably be, probably be even more so than Miami. Um, I think it's a a chance for the drivers to, you know, kind of embrace the culture and whether or not you or I think that it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, it is Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas. There's, there's no other city in the entire United States that is, you know, more just, Ah, just yeah in your face kind of in your face right Mm -hmm. so i think we kind of we may have uh mentioned stats of the course last week i i think we did but Mm -hmm. i'll go back to um just to refresh the listeners uh 50 laps course length is uh 6.2 kilometers fairly long uh, race distance 310 and change and we have no lap record although i think we will see very high speeds here uh, i think it's important to talk about 
when the first GP in Las Vegas was. Las Vegas, and I'm poaching this from the F1 website, uh, copyright. Vegas uh, previous, previously staged two F1 races uh, under the Caesars Palace uh, Grand Prix moniker in 81 and 82. It played host to the season finale on both occasions, so that was the last race on the schedule in 1981 and 1982 with Williams driver Alan Jones winning the 1981 race and Michelle Alberto taking uh, his first victory in F1 for the Tyrell team in 82. Um, so they have run here before, and it was a, uh, if you go back and use your uh, Googles or internets, it was not not a great uh, experience for F1, uh, as they were running in basically a parking lot <laughs> at Caesars Palace. <laughs> um, not quite as cool as running in a parking lot in front of the Miami Dolphins Stadium, right? Yeah, well... Fair point. Sorry, that was a jab at Miami. No, fair, point. <laughs> fair point. But I think at least this time they realized that we can't just put these cars mm -hmm. uh, on a on a cone course. Yeah. And they're going to be running um, right down the middle or the heart of the strip. So. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not going to be a cone course uh, for sure. Uh, to me, one of the ultimate cone courses, uh, I th the you know, I'm sure you're quite familiar with the Indianapolis, uh, uh, I guess, what would you call it? Like the road race or the, the circuit race. And you know, like this, when I, I got to experience it for the first time, this past Indy 500, but like walking to the track on race day, and I think you pointed out or someone we were with pointed out like, yeah, you're actually walking on where they race the, the road GPs here. And it's like, oh, so they're actually just putting up walls in a, in a black top area. And that's pretty yeah. much that. So F1 actually was, went to Indy in the early two thousands. And that's yeah. how that road course was developed. And mm -hmm. I would have to see a, a map of the course to understand, but I can't imagine that it was anything better necessarily than this because you're using most of the oval. Mm -hmm. uh, there were some uh, internal uh, roadways constructed, and they still run um, like super bike races there and, yeah, IndyCar the, at, as a series races the road road course twice. So, yeah, uh, seventeen turn uh, street circuit. Uh, winds a little color here, winds its way past iconic locations like Caesar's Palace, the Bellagio, and the Venetian, um, with 
average speeds expected to match Monza, otherwise known as F1's Temple of Speed, there should be quite a bit of action. And also, I think it should be noted that they're not turning any lights off. So these cars are going to be going by 100-foot screens, uh, you know, major casino lighting i think just visually it's going to be awesome now whether or not that begs a good a good grand prix i don't know but yeah um, there's there's so much unknown with what this is going to be like that it's hard to really say anything definitive going into it um but i don't have a good taste in my mouth at the moment about it to be kind honest of, for with me you. it kind of makes it fun because yeah. you know it's not the same old yeah i mean it's old. yeah it, it's it's going to be interesting for sure because again you have the novelty of it being new uh i think if the racing plays out in a way that's um good even just good, I think people will kind of maybe sort of simmer down a little bit on it. I don't I don't think it'll be making really any money for the series. I think the series kind of knows that, though. I think to say, saying in 2023 that F1 races in Las Vegas, I think means more to them than if they make money on it, if that makes sense. That's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I I can't speak to the the monetary part of it, but I have to think that and we've you and I have talked about this kind of offline, but um, you know, people will come, and not just people from the U.S. Mm-hmm. People from all over the world will come to this and spend their money, and you know, I guess we'll that remains to be seen so yeah yeah that's all we can really do so i believe as we are recording what are we uh like an hour and a half maybe a little under two hours away from p1 if i'm not wrong in saying that and uh so the race will be saturday night vegas time 1 a.m eastern here sunday um so some of the, again, we talked about this a number of times, but the timing going to be weird for us East Coasters, at least, um, and even a lot of Western Europe and whatnot. But we will have to see. I think one final point to leave off on, which I've been kind of saying for a bit, but I think now it's really coming into fruition. Um, it is going to be cold, what we would describe as cold for the race and most of the uh i guess sessions during the weekend and that can definitely have a factor into um how this plays out yeah so i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure um that we've seen these ambient temperatures uh, during this 
particular season, but I just pulled the weather up for Las Vegas, Nevada. And for example, um, Mm -hmm. P1 is going to kick off at 10 p.m. And the ambient temperature is going to be 55 degrees. So I don't know if they're hoping that there is some solar gain on the actual tarmac that is going to keep that at a certain degree. But Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously when the sun sets in Vegas, uh, the weather changes. Yeah. Uh, Also uh, of note um, during the warm up show, uh, there was some precip. So we had a little bit of, of, believe it or not, it leave it up to this weekend for it to actually rain (laughs) in Las Vegas, but it rained in Las Vegas earlier today. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I would be more than shocked if it rains during the actual race, but that would probably just add to the fun of what this weekend could be for sure. Yeah, so I'm looking at, you know, some data here that tells me that most of this racing is going to um, take place in the sub- 60 degree temperature which i guess we'll see i mean i i can't recall can you recall uh gp this year where it was that cold mm, i can't no I can't um but i want to say usually when they they run at night it's because in yeah Ah, rain or yeah when it's 115 during the day you just can't do that into the 80s yeah (laughs) i would i I think in montreal or something like that there was a a session that was like 60 degrees and that was during the summer um maybe but i don't think the race was like that but i could be totally making that up but uh, case in point, uh, no, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be. We've had anything like the weather so far this year, so yeah. So uh, kind of another, you know, chink in the armor of, mm-hmm. of this weekend. I'm I'm still on the positive side, thinking. Um, this is going to be a changeable landscape for F1 mm-hmm. unless, unless everyone crashes on the first lap and then it's a complete shit show. But yeah. sometimes, sometimes that's kind of what draws um, numbers. So. That is true. Uh, one, and I said one final thing last time, but, Will this race be looked at in a better light if Max Verstappen does not win? In my eyes, it will be. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm just thinking because, like, Singapore was, like, everyone saying that was an awesome race. And I think 
if you go deeper into that, obviously there were probably four, three or four cars that were competing for the win. Um, but yeah, I think it's this race, honestly, and I, you know, you can have your opinions on Verstappen. I think he's a great driver, obviously, but what this race really needs is for him to not just run away. Like that's what it really, really, really needs. It needs competition at the front because otherwise, unless it's again, unless there's really good racing behind or there's big wrecks or something like that, all people are going to think of is race was boring and it was a circus, and that's yeah. not what you want. I don't disagree. Um, any track that can challenge the Red Bull team at this point um, will be noted. And I think really what it comes down to is um, if they're going to come back to Vegas next year, Was it was it worth the spend? And for the city of Las Vegas, that's kind of an unknown. TBD, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, they came back to Miami with the fake, uh, the fake water. <laughs> they did fake the uh, yacht. The yachts parked on cellophane with with uh, potential to get off on a tangent. Oh my God, that race might be. Uh, didn't they commit for like 10 years to that if i'm not mistaken and what i really don't what i really don't like is the cheesiness of trying to blend american football yeah. into a series that no has one nothing to do with football. no one in the world is asking for that and that's why I, the drivers probably got frustrated because would you, would you want to put a dunce cap on and run around? <laughs> they don't, yeah. they don't give a fuck about American football and they yeah. made those guys put football helmets on. Yeah. It's really stupid. It's really stupid. It's, I don't know. It's like if you went to fucking Montreal and they made you wear hockey helmets or something like okay why are we doing that that's kind of what i like about coda in texas is hey here's the track here's a great venue to race mm -hmm. and they seem to be less uh, annoyed yeah no one no texas. one no one complains about texas to my knowledge no, because they don't parade them around like a bunch of assholes yeah and it's a good track that you know, produces good racing and it's interesting. It's a very interesting track. So I don't know, maybe let's, I know with Vegas, it's kind of hard not to do the hamming up thing, but Miami, I think could genuinely take a page out of Austin's book. We don't need fake freaking marinas with yachts that are parked on a parking lot and the drivers are wearing football helmets and there needs, there doesn't need to be fucking orchestra playing music <laughs> when drivers are being in a, you know, it's just like, we don't, 
it's not a circus. It's not a theatrical production. So I don't know. Rant over, but oh, well, uh, agreed. Yeah. So agreed. I I also I'm too old and too smart not to know that Vegas is going to be even worse. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Whatever. Uh, Whatever happens, happens. That is that is where we are at with it. So. Uh, I think that's where we'll leave it there unless you have anything else to say about the Vegas GP. I think at this point we can just let the on-track action take its course. Yeah. Uh, We're there. We're uh, just about, like you said, 90 minutes from history. So I would probably ask you to remember in your life timeline that uh, you witnessed the first F1 Grand Prix and possibly the last F1 Grand Prix run in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, I will. I will take it to the grave. All right, well, let's move on then. I think we've uh, breathed enough air regarding Las Vegas, and let's move on to the soccer side of things. We are six minutes away from the United States taking on Trinidad and Tobago in the CONCACAF Nations League. And um, obviously... it's not going to take a genius to know that the, the U.S. are heavy favorites in this one. Um, I'm looking at the betting odds right now. If uh, anyone is interested in placing their parlay, of course, by the time you hear this, the match will be over. But USA clocking in at uh, minus 4,000. Um, and you can bet on Trinidad and Tobago to win plus 4,000 odds. That's pretty much max maxed out there. In terms of uh, so, payout, give me a little, if you know, mm-hmm. minus four thousand is good. Yeah, so that is like, I again, I don't really, I'm not going to be pretend to be a betting expert here, but if your team's betting odds is in the negatives, just going super plain and simple cut and dry here. If you're in the negatives, that means the bookies favor you. And then obviously if you're plus, the bookies do not favor you as much or they think it's uh, not as likely to happen. So the, the, the bigger the number with a negative, the more confident, the bigger the number with a plus before it, the less confident they are in happening. But um, the, I guess the, the less winnable bets, but the the bigger payouts would be if you're kind of if you're gambling on Trinidad and Tobago to win. If you put ten dollars down, um, I think at plus four thousand odds, you might be getting four hundred dollars out of that. Could be making that up though, but yeah. regardless, 
big heavy favorites for the United States. It's a pretty strong lineup. I'm just looking at it right now. Um, key, uh, I guess, remissions would be Christian Pulisic and Timothy Weah, who are not in the camp due to some relatively minor injuries, so nothing like super concerning. Um, so this match is actually the quarterfinals of what is called the CONCACAF Nations League. Um, so if you remember back to the summer when the U.S. played Mexico and won 3-0, that was the championship game of the previous edition of the CONCACAF Nations League. So this is the following season's edition of the tournament. So uh, honestly, it's going to be a blowout and they'll play each other twice. So it's not super interesting to really speak upon it because you don't really learn much about your team. The big takeaway from it, though, is that if they beat Trinidad and Tobago over two legs and move on to the next round, they will qualify themselves to next summer's Copa America tournament. Now, this tournament traditionally is played between the nations of South America, and it is their... It's like they're equivalent to the Euros, the European Championships, so they crown the champion of South America, and it's usually every three years, three or four years. It's not as consistent as the Euros, but this edition of the tournament next summer will be played in the United States. Um, so obviously, barring disaster, the U.S. will be there. Um, Mexico will also be in it. I believe Canada will also be in it. And then a few other North American nations. And, um, of course, your big heavy hitters in South America, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia, etc. They'll all be there. What, um, if you know, mm -hmm. you may not, um, venue... Yeah, yeah, I'll look that up right now, um, because I don't just curious. Know. Yeah, because actually, this would be. If there's any even relatively close? I think it would definitely be worth maybe checking out. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find the venues here. So the tournament dates are Thursday, June 20th to Sunday, July 14th. So it's a traditional summer tournament, as I said, uh, being hosted by the United States, who last hosted this tournament the last time they competed in it in 2016. Um, all right, it's giving me explanation as to why uh, the U.S. are hosting... Uh, the easy answer there is because money. <laughs> These federations like money. So, okay, here we go. 11 U.S. venues announced. Uh, the final, I believe, is going to be at AT&T Stadium in Dallas. So that's where the Cowboys play. Mm -hmm. um, we've got Arrowhead Stadium, home of the Chiefs. We've got Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. Energy Stadium in Houston, Levi Stadium, San Francisco, 
SoFi no Stadium in LA. No, no Cleveland. Uh, we've got Boston, Philly, Miami, and Seattle. So uh, I guess clo- closest is Philly. Probably make more sense to go to Miami, honestly. Uh, I guess we do have we do have connections in Philly now, thanks to uh, shout out Mikey Mike the Third. Uh, he's That's Philly right. based these days. Um, of a footy fan as well. Yeah, he is as well. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm assuming ticket prices will be kind of exorbitant, but I don't know. It, it is maybe not a once in a lifetime thing, but a couple few times in a lifetime thing. So that's going to be really exciting, though. I think the U.S. could um, could definitely make a very deep run in that competition. And no, it is not a World Cup, but to try to like explain it to people that maybe don't understand Copa America or haven't heard of it. This shit is very seriously taken by South Americans. It's one rung down from the World Cup, basically. So it's it's a big deal for sure. Right. Yeah. So uh the US men will be hopefully punching their tickets to that tournament. Um during this international break. So look forward to that. Uh, Why don't we get into the match of the episode here? Uh, A a four-all barn burner between Chelsea and Man City in the Premier League. Um, You kind of said it before, but I'll allow you to maybe give your feelings again. Match of the season for you? Uh, yes. Uh, as a second-tier soccer fan uh, or football fan for the Europeans, um, this match provided so much um it kind of felt more like American football where I would love to see this kind of goal scoring Mm -hmm. and not so much just kind of booting around. Yeah. Uh, It was so, it was really entertaining to watch and, um, you know, Chelsea was, was pretty scrappy v this team mm-hmm. and you can probably add uh a bit of color to that but um you know a couple of shots by chelsea early good defense by man city and then uh finally uh 20th harlan shot on goal had a uh, VAR there, I think, and then end up being a P- uh, PK, which I, if you can talk about mm-hmm. why that was a penalty. Yeah. So sort of first things first um, with this, Chelsea kind of, uh, 
new look this season. I think we talked about it earlier in the season. If you can remember, this is a pretty much completely changed Chelsea side from years even really last year. Um, so guys like Nicholas Jackson, um, Cole Palmer, who actually played for Man City last year, uh, Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo, um, Axel Disasi, uh, Robert Sanchez, and um, amongst others, some of their subs. These are guys that either weren't playing for Chelsea last year or were were in the club but not getting any minutes. So they've really gone like totally new look for this season. And it's gone kind of how you'd expect. It's been pretty rocky. It hasn't really been that well or gone all that well up until sort of recently. Um, their manager, Maurizio Pochettino, was brought in uh, this year. He uh, formerly managed uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And Chelsea, if you kind of remember back to last season, were no bueno by their standards. Uh, pretty, actually really bad. Um, and this year it's been middling, but it, it, I think it honestly has kind of turned a corner. So they, they um, their last few matches in the league have, have gone pretty well. They hammered uh, Tottenham Hotspur in a crazy match. Um, they've drawn to Arsenal. But, um, yeah, th- this team is totally overhauled, whereas Man City uh, have definitely kind of bunkered into the team that they have. Um, of course, there are some new faces for City as well with Jeremy Doku, uh, Yasko Gvardiol, um, and fairly new Manuel Kanji. But yeah, you mentioned it. Chelsea definitely had a good footing in this match early. They had a, a few shots on goal. Um, you could just tell that both of these teams have like really great technical ability, which you, you kind of pointed out. But uh, you know, it's not just route one booted up the pitch to your big striker and see what happens, like we see sometimes, but. The, you know, the ball is being played on the ground where it belongs, and uh, it makes for very entertaining soccer. Uh, to get to the first incident, um, so in the 21st minute, Mark Kukurea of Chelsea is given a yellow card for pulling down Holland in the box. Uh, for me, it was a penalty. I, I One of those where it's not... Uh, there's not a ton of contact, and you could tell that Holland is definitely selling it, but it's one you, you kind of have to give. Um, and the penalty is awarded for Holland, who, of course, slots at home to make it 1-0. And at that point, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, it was a bright start from Chelsea, but you know, with Man City going up a goal, it's always hard to kind of relinquish anything from, from them. And they actually, I saw a stat up up until this game, when they scored first, they'd won every single time. So that actually changed, and I think that just sort of attests to the the fight in this Chelsea team that seems to have come about in recent recent weeks. 
Um, so, yeah, let, let me uh, hear from you a bit more on the first half because it did offer quite a bit of action. Uh, Gallinger, I think it's Gallinger. Mm-hmm. So Silva for a header goal um, brings us to a 1-1 tie. Yeah, so that was off of a corner. Um, definitely good, great timing for Chelsea because when you go down a goal where maybe you were a little bit unlucky to concede perhaps, uh, getting this goal back real fast, leveling the game is um, definitely what you want to do. Seemed like uh, Thiago Silva just kind of wasn't really marked, but it was a great delivery regardless from Connor Gallagher. And then just to kind of give you some some more, um, I guess, color to the technical ability in this game, I had down 32nd minute. I don't know if you remember this, um, but Phil Foden of Man City, he dribbles past three Chelsea players all at once, like in one move uh, on the right wing. Just a fantastic uh, piece of skill there. Puts in a ball to Holland that he can't quite control, but regardless, just fantastic. And I think there's one other thing you should kind of pay attention to when you watch Man City, and this goes to people listening and to my co-host, but you will notice the the players don't really have like a set position. Um so guys will drop in and out in possession. So like Holland, for example, will drop real deep if he wants the ball uh, away from a traditional striker role who is just kind of planted up top. Jeremy Doku, he is listed like as a defender more often than not. He's played like left back for Man City this year. He was just a straight up winger today or in this match, I guess. Um, he straight up just attack, uh, which is really interesting, but he was kind of going up and down the pitch vertically. Um, another thing that was interesting, when Man City would have the ball, um, they would basically just have one or two defenders sitting back, um, and everyone else would be up the pitch, um, which I thought was, first off, just great confidence in your team. Because to say, uh, when we have the ball, we don't really care that we don't have any numbers back. Basically, try to get the ball off of us and see what happens. But these are things that make watching Man City so interesting is they just play in such a fluid way. But uh, to, I guess, uh, dust off the chalkboard a little bit there and get back to the the action. Um, It was in... The 37th minute where Raheem Sterling scores for Chelsea to make it 2-1. Um, and it's kind of a tap-in after uh, Yasko Gvardiol of Man City sort of makes a mess of defending Reese James, who crosses the ball to Sterling. Another great goal there from Chelsea. What would you make of that one? Yeah, so not really thinking that... Um... Chelsea would respond so quickly, but mm-hmm. um, 
that's what kind of made this match interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, so 2-1 Chelsea, and then uh, in the 41st-ish minute, uh, Harlan, a good shot, but no goal. And then we have uh, plus six, I think, in overage. And McKenzie uh, kind of equalized. Well, not kind of. He equalized with a 2-2 shot. Yeah. Manuel Akanji, uh, his header, uh, makes it to all. And it's sort of the classic, uh, which, you know, we've definitely mentioned classic. As the old adage goes, uh, best time to score right before the half. And that's exactly what he did. In another... Going into the half, uh, two-two. Where were you? Where were you at halftime with just the overall feel of the match? Like I, I know myself watching, it was just very refreshing to have a nice back and forth and just a lot of attacking uh, spirit from both teams. Yeah, not not sure how this one was, you know, going to play out in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that halftime point. Um, it didn't take much time for Alvarez to Harland. Yeah, 47th, I think, minute. I yeah. have noted here. 3-2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I I honestly thought, you know, Man City. Okay. Yeah. That's that's kind of what it felt like. It was. It seemed like in the beginning of the second half, at least, it was to be sort of anecdotal about it, it uh, in maybe stereotypical coach mode. But Man City kind of just wanted it more. It felt like you know they were making sort of the hustle plays. Holland basically just wrestles home the ball that uh, Alvarez crosses to him, uh, just kind of being a physical specimen in the box, uh, sort of wrestling at home against his the Chelsea defense. In, uh, in, in, and that's kind of how the first 20-ish minutes sort of played out in that second half. It was mostly Man City on the attack. Um, and you, you kind of felt like they had definitely taken a hold of the match and weren't really going to relinquish control. But uh, in the 67th minute, sort of out of nowhere, uh, Nicholas Jackson of Chelsea equalizes the game. So if you're keeping score at home, it's now 3-3 in the second half here. So that the initial effort comes from Connor Gallagher uh, from deep. A pretty good save from Ederson, although he maybe could have done a little better to keep control of that ball. Basically, here, Nicholas Jackson kind of gets the scraps of what was left and is able to bang it home. And Just fantastic atmosphere in the stadium for this one, um, uh, especially when this goal comes in, because to uh, go down to, well, first, 
take the lead against Man City and then relinquish the lead and then bring the game level again. I mean, just doesn't really get any better for a, a home home crowd for sure. Yeah, and you know, I guess we go twenty plus minutes after that into the eightieth, eighty fourth or so uh, minute. Manchester Sydney, uh, City. I think it was Roderick. Rodrigo. Rodri, yeah. Four three. Heavy rain at this point. Yeah, throughout this match, there had been some rain, but yeah, it, it reached, it reached uh, your classic England sort of downpour by the end of this match, which sort of added to the the atmosphere, I suppose, the the theater. Yeah that this match provided a uh, great shot from Rodri from outside the box. Um, just, I mean, just puts his foot through it. Uh, just a, a great goal all around. Um, Matt makes it four, three again in the match. You kind of felt like, okay, that's probably it. Right. Because again, man city don't really relinquish leads and for them to have already done it, is surprising, but um, I think uh, the plus eight stoppage here probably hurt. Yeah, I I think yeah, you're right because you do get the sense that maybe the team is just kind of hanging on for the win a little bit, which is not something you should really ever be doing unless you're definitely uh, outgunned. Uh, which it's Manchester City; they're not outgunned by any team in the world, so interesting there um so eight minutes like you said were added on after 90 and (laughs) something bad is going to happen if you allow it to and that's kind of what man city did um so in the 95th minute chelsea are awarded a penalty off of a foul from ruben diaz um I don't know what he's doing there. Just a, a terrible tackle that no coach in the world would ever advise a defender to make. Um, and he definitely just made a total mess of it. And Cole Palmer, uh, just to add sort of more drama to this spectacle, this is a player that came through the Man City Youth Academy and actually played Um two or three seasons professionally for Man City, won all of those trophies last season with them, and then sort of out of nowhere just left, left for Chelsea. I think he felt like he had a, a better path to more first-team football, and he definitely has. He's pretty much undroppable for Chelsea at this moment in time. Um he steps up and converts the penalty, uh, sort of the last act of this game to make it 4-4. Um, and Stamford Bridge goes wild and sort of puts a end cap on what I think was the best game of the season so far. Yeah, so um, don't – there was a bit of a dust-up, <laughs> bit of a dust-up here at the end of stoppage time. 
Mm-hmm. Don't know if you recall that, but mm-hmm. uh, we had a little bit of uh, talking going on and some yeah. shoving and whatnot. Yeah, I think that I don't think Man City are a well liked team necessarily. Not to say that they play dirty or anything, but they've dominated the league for quite a bit now, and I think teams are maybe getting tired of that in there is actually a bit of cross contamination with these two teams where Raheem Sterling and um, Cole Palmer actually played for Man City for a long time Mateo Kovacic of Man City played for Chelsea for a long time so there's a bit of intermixing there Uh, I think two teams that probably don't have a ton of love for each other uh, if you recall the 2021 Champions League final, Chelsea beat Man City there. So no love lost for sure by any means. But the points dropped from Man City actually make this title race all the more compelling. So I'll give you, here's the here is the top five in the Premier League. Man City at number one, 28 points. Liverpool, second, 27 points. Arsenal, third, also on 27 points. Tottenham, fourth, on 26 points. And then Aston Villa, rounding out the top five, 25 points. So there's three points separating first through fifth right now. So, uh, yeah, it this definitely could go a number of different ways in the Premier League, and I think it's going to be a very, very interesting title race, but we're going to have to wait a little bit to get our our next chapter of the season, but suffice to say, it should be a good one. All right. So, uh, so yeah. At one hour plus, I think we're probably ready to get gone. Yeah, I know you were probably anxiously awaiting um, some F1 action, as am I. I'm probably going to tune into the United States here and see what is going on. And uh, yeah, so all sorts of uh, fun stuff ahead. All right. Conversation, a little more action, please. Or All this executive you. producers, a little more fight, Richard a little Tanaka, fight, a little fight, a little more Jeff Bright. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We will see you next time.